Um, let me pray. Lord God, thank you for this reading. Thank you for these questions and answers. Uh, Lord, we want to know the truth. We want to know you. We want to believe in you. Amen. Well, there's a whole heap of questions here in this passage. And uh, a phrase that I've been sort of throwing around for years, teaching scripture and uh, with young people, ask questions. Questions lead to the truth. Good lawyers ask good questions. Good reporters ask good questions. Ask questions. Always trying to get kids to ask questions to, to discover the truth. Well, this is the chapter of questions. And we've got lots of truth revealed. The sad part about it is people don't accept the truth. There's prejudice. There's previous views that people refuse. There's fear of rejection, stopping people from believing. Okay, let's, let's look into it. It's, um, chapter 9 really comes from chapter 8, uh, where Jesus is talking about light and darkness. There's a sort of festival of light. I'm the light of the world. And uh, Jesus has come in, and um, they're, they're moving along, and the disciples see this guy who'd been born blind. How did they know that? I'm not sure. But... And the question arises. And this is sort of, you know, the kids in scripture ask a question. Say, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? And sort of, what does it mean that this guy's born blind? Because we're sort of brought up with this idea that, you know, if you do something wrong, God's going to get you. I don't know whether you ever heard that when you were a kid, you know, behave yourself or God's going to get you or something's going to happen. Can I say that is not true? That's not how God works. And uh, the disciples are saying, who sins? You know, who, who are we going to blame for this? Him or his parents? And she said, no, you've got it wrong. Now, obviously there is a link between sin and suffering. When people sin badly, you know, when, when people do crimes, suffering follows. The victim is suffering. So when there's abuse, that's sin and there's suffering. Direct correlation between the abuser and the, and the victim suffering. But Jesus is saying here that judgment, if you want to blame someone, judgment is God's prerogative and judgment will come at the end of the world. There's going to be a judgment day. It's not the day when some person is born with a disability. That's not judgment. That's a consequence of living in a sinful world. Okay, that's a little background. Jesus says to the guys, no, not his father, the parents, not him. This actually is all part of God's eternal plan. What? Yes. You know, God said to Abraham, through you, all nations are going to be blessed. Uh, the word of God is coming. There's, the Old Testament promises Jesus. Jesus does what he does. And we go on to eternity and into, into the second coming and into judgment. And this has happened so that that eternal plan of God can work. And what does he say? Um, verse 3, neither this man or his parents have sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What are the works of God? Well, in chapter 6, um, verse 29, I've got a tag here somewhere. Um, 6, verse 29 Jesus answered, the works of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. 
The one work that God wants is for us to believe. People want to say, you know, what have I got to do to get to heaven? Do I have to go to church? Do I have to read the Bible? Do I have to do this? Do I have to? No, there's no have to. There's only one have to, one work. And that is to believe in God. And Jesus is saying, this whole story, this whole occasion, this whole of chapter 9 has been planned from eternity so that the works of God can be displayed. And what's that work? To believe. Okay, where does belief come from? Well, it starts with facts. So let's get into the facts. Jesus then uh, says, night is coming when no one can work. And again, he's referring to chapter 8 with light and dark. And in the night, he can't do anything. And it's interesting, if you want to know what it's like to be blind, get up at night when it's dark. You probably know your way around your house in the dark. This fellow probably knew his way around wherever they were. It doesn't say where he was. Oh, in Jerusalem, sorry, in um, the pool of Siloam, yeah. So he would have known his way around there. And Jesus is saying, now is the time while it is light. So Jesus gets onto it. I'm the light of the world, verse 5. After saying this, he spit on the ground. What's on the ground? Dust. Got a reference there to uh, Genesis chapter 2. When God is creating the world, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. John is writing his gospel so that we will believe. What are we, what are we believing? That Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator. And this is why the Pharisees are having so much trouble with this miracle. It would be one thing if he was a doctor and he turned up and you know, said, here's some ointment, and, you know, perhaps put his gloves on and did all the right things. Doctors, that's okay. Pharisees can believe in doctors. But someone giving sight to someone who was born blind, that's not remedial. That is creation. And that's what this whole passage is about. That God, Jesus is God. Jesus is being revealed as God the creator. Okay, so we're looking for facts because that's what it's about. We're revealing the truth. And uh, Jesus says to the guy, well, he spits on the ground, he makes some paste from mud, puts on his eyes. Not exactly what I would want on my eyes. If I get a fleck of dust in my eyes, it's a real pain in the neck. But presumably his eyes were closed. He's got this paste on his eyes. He's told to go to the pool. He knows his way around in the dark because that's been his life. He goes to the pool. Let's see what it says. Um, after saying this, he spat on the ground. Verse 7, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. The story's finished at verse 7. Jesus did the healing. The guy obeyed, walked in the dark to the pool, washed the mud off his face, and he came home seeing. That's the facts. That's all we need. So what happens next? Well, more questions answers. He goes home and says, I can see. Hey, how good is this? The lights have been turned on. Jesus has turned up. He is so excited. More excited than, than my nine-year-old grandson who had a birthday yesterday. How excited can you be? A blind guy getting his sight. He just comes home and wants to tell everybody. I can see, I can see. And the neighbours say, what? 
Are you the kid next door that we saw grow up? It was. You are. Yes, I am. Oh no, you can't be. No one can. No one can see Bourne. I said, it's, it's me. And they said, well, oh, come on, this is impossible. Only God can do this. So they grab him. The Bible sort of doesn't quite have the grab there, but it's, it says they brought to the Pharisee. But really, is they they manhandled him. And they said, well, we better take you to the church because we, we need some religious experts to explain this because no one born blind can receive their sight. That is the work of God and God only. So we go to the church. The Pharisees are there and they uh, say, so, hey, Pharisees, we've got this conundrum. We've got this question for you. We've got this guy born blind and now he can see. How does that happen? And the Pharisees don't want to know about it. Now, see, this is the truth. What do you do with the truth? What do you do with facts? And the first thing that they want to do is discredit Jesus. Well, this is the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, we have our rules. And one of the rules is you don't make bricks. And how do you make bricks? Well, you make bricks with moisture and mud. You have spat on the ground. You must be a sinner. We can't believe you. Get out of here. It's all over. And the guy says, but I can see. It's miraculous. Well, what's happening here? Well, and they ask more questions. They ask the neighbours. Well, bring the parents in. Three questions for the parents. I think we're up to question eight, nine, and ten by this stage. Three simple questions to the parents. Is this your son? Yes, he's our son. Was he born blind? Yes, he was born blind. How did it happen? Oh, don't ask me that question. And the Bible tells us that they were too scared to answer because they'd be kicked out of the synagogue if they were to declare that Jesus was the Messiah. How sad is that? So they bring the blind guy who can now see back in. Come on, tell us the truth. This is your last chance. (laughs) There's only one thing I can tell you. I was blind and now I can see. That's the facts. That's the truth. Oh, get out of here. You're you're just as bad as him. You know, you're a sinner. You You were, they go back to their prejudice. You were born in sin which is the thought that the disciples started with. Where'd they get that thought from? From the church. And he's kicked out. Then Jesus finds him. And we get to the question that we want to look at today. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out of the synagogue. And when he found him, we don't even know this guy's name. But when he found him, Jesus said to him, do you believe in the son of man? See, that is the question that life changes on. That is the question that eternity, where you spend eternity will be determined on how you answer that question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And Son of Man's a phrase that Daniel uses in the Old Testament as this picture of the one. Uh, Isaiah talks about the one who will come, who will open the eyes of the blind. Remember when Jesus um, preached and he opened the book of Isaiah in Luke 4, you know, I'm the one. And I'm going to open the eyes of the blind. This is, this is who Jesus is, the, the creator, son of God. And he says to the guy who can now see, do you believe? Of course, the guy was blind. He didn't know who Jesus was at the beginning. He knew Jesus' name. People had talked about it. And Jesus just turns up and says, do you believe in the son of man? Well, who, who is he? And Jesus says, I'm the guy talking to you. And what's his response? 
Um, Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one talking. Then the man said, Lord, I believe and worshipped him. John's gospel uh, is written so that we believe. The great little statement at the end of the gospel, uh, chapter 20, verse 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, these are written, the facts are written, the truth is out there, this, that's what it's all about. And the guy's saying, I was blind and now I, can, now I see. That's the truth, that's the fact. I can't not believe that. I was blind and now I can see. And the neighbours are saying, he was blind and now I can see. The parents are saying, he was blind and now I can see. So they're the facts. What do you do with those facts? John says, I've written these so that you'll believe. And the man believes... And what does it say here? I've written so that you may believe, that you may have life in his name. So we've got facts, belief, life. That's how it works. You have the Bible. I have the Bible. You've had Bible stories. You've had teaching. And ask questions so you can correct your facts. And I, I need to say to you that I might be saying things to you that are wrong. Not intentionally, but I'm not perfect. I don't get it right every time. Yes, I read commentaries, I prepare sermons, but, but I want to say to you, ask questions. Check me out. Make sure I'm right. Because the truth is much more important than me. You need the truth. You need the facts. And when you've got those facts, say, yes, Jesus is Lord, I believe. And the man worshipped him. Now, what comes next? Well, the Pharisees turn up. Uh, well, they're never far away, are they? And uh, they're sort of getting a message here that if he's a believer and we think he's a sinner, what about us? And Jesus, well, you know, I've come to, I've come to actually draw a line. I've come for judgment. And that judgment will be at the second coming. We did a, a visit of Parliament House a couple of, yeah, a couple of years ago, and uh, we were told about the division bells. I don't know whether anyone's heard about the division bells, but apparently <clears throat> most of the legislation that happens in Parliament is a majority, and people say, all those in favour, aye, and it gets passed. But every now and again, there's sort of a close line of, you know, okay, we'll ring the bells and we'll divide the parliament. And apparently the bells ring for four minutes or something like that, so that people in, the, in their offices or cafes or wherever they are can all come for the vote. At the four-minute point, the bells stop, the doors are closed, and we divide. And Jesus says, that's what I've come for. I've come for a divide. I've come for a judgment. And all those who believe on one side and those who don't on the other. pretty heavy isn't it my dad who would have turned 100 this year if he was alive um, was a great bloke I loved him he was a church warden treasurer did a lot of maintenance at the church at Hunters Hill where I grew up and uh, he was dying of cancer and a couple of weeks before he died I, I you know I wanted to hear from his lips that he believed. I'd looked at his life, yes, church all the time. Was he just a formal church person like these Pharisees? 
So I said to him, Dad, there's one question that God's going to ask you when you get to heaven. And that is, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe Jesus is Lord, that Jesus died on the cross for you? And he said, yeah. He'd been a bomber pilot in the Second World War and he earned a distinguished flying cross for good piloting to escape from attack. And uh, he said, yeah, that time when I was in England and I thought I was dead. And I came home and I went back into the cha chaplain's office and he had a poster on, on the wall in the pa chaplain's office from Psalm 57. He said, Psalm 57, the second last verse. And he had a Bible in his bedside table, which I never knew. And uh, Psalm 57, second last verse says, For great is your love reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And Dad said, I believed from that day on that God was there with me. So my question to you this morning is, do you believe in the Son of God? I heard a yes. We're here today because we believe, hopefully, or we're seeking. We have prayers in a minute and a hymn and we're going to have communion. And when we come out to communion, I sort of, when I hand out the bread, I'd really like to say, do you believe? Now, don't say yes to me. You say yes to, to God. Don't look at me. Perhaps look at the, the cross. The cross is a symbol, but it's a symbol of God's love to us, of what Jesus has done. There's Jesus. He turns up. He sees this blind guy, and he heals him. He sees us, and he heals us. He heals us of our sin. Do you believe in the Son of God? Amen.